You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hi, welcome back, and thanks for joining the show today. And Morag is uh, out doing a, a keynote on Future Proof somewhere uh, around in the world, and I'm going to be doing the same thing uh, in, in uh, next, next week's show. So we're happy to have you with us. I, I tell you, it has been a heck of a week for weather. Um, talk about future proof. We need to really be thinking about this whole climate issue. It's just, uh, I can't imagine what it would be like in Puerto Rico living for six months, the entire island with no electricity, no water, uh, just unbelievable to think about that. And some people were talking today about we're going to have to go back and start to learn how to use uh, games that don't require internet or don't require technology. And uh, maybe there'll be some good that will come out of some of this, but it seems pretty devastating. And particularly with the earthquake in uh, Mexico, a tough, tough week for the weather. So I'm going to jump right in. I have a great guest this week. He is Warren Berger. He's a leading innovator, entrepreneur, and creative thinker on how to ask questions. Now, we all may think we know how to ask questions, and many people do ask great questions, the most beautiful question, which is the name of his book. Also, many people ask questions to control, and they ask questions to get the answers that to lead people to the answers that they want. But we all know that those are levels of manipulation. What I love about what Warren's done is he'd written this phenomenal book about really asking beautiful questions. He's an author of the internationally acclaimed book Glimmer, which is an in-depth analysis of creative thinking. And it was uh, highlighted as uh, one of business week's best innovation and design books of the year. He's been on NBC Today Show, ABC World News, CNN, NPR, All Things Considered, uh, and writes for Fast Company and Harvard Business Review. And he is now on Future Proof Workplace with Morag and myself. So thanks for joining us, Warren. Thank you, Linda. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you on. So what to, give give. Give our listeners a little bit about your background. How, how did you get into writing and, and, and how did you get into design thinking? And then, then we'll talk about this book. Yeah, well, it, one thing just led to another. Um, I've been a journalist for a long time, uh, about 30 years. And, um, you know, as a journalist, questioning was always part of my work. You know, you, you, you really work on your questions as a journalist because it's, it's sort of your stock and trade. I mean, it's one of the main tools of your trade. So, um, so I always had an appreciation of, of questioning as part of a journalist's work. Uh, but then I started to get a whole different take on it. And, and the way it happened was, you know, just doing lots of, of interviews and articles. Um, I would tend to interview people who are innovators or business leaders, entrepreneurs, um, creative thinkers of all of all sorts, 
And I noticed that they were really good at um, thinking about problems uh, that they were facing as questions. And they would think a lot about, you know, trying to frame the question the right way and trying to come up with the best questions to to work on and try to answer. And it, it seemed to me that this process of questioning was a big part of what got people to innovation. I mean, that was that was the sort of the light bulb moment for me. So, you know, I was writing about um, at the time this kind of light bulb went off. I happened to be writing about design and design thinking. I was writing a book about design thinking. I was, I was writing about how designers, you know, innovate and solve problems. And one of the things I noticed was that this questioning thing was a big part of how designers think. And it's a big part of design thinking. It's a big part of problem solving. So I just started to put all this all these pieces together and say, you know, there's really something here that's, that's worth talking about that. I, I think people appreciate questions and question asking on certain levels, you know, they understand, okay, it's really good for getting information out of people. Um, it can be really good for you, some of your interpersonal relationships. It's really good for a journalist or a lawyer or, or you know, when they have to sort of interrogate people. So it, it we're well aware of those things that questioning uh, does. But I think what we're less aware of is the powerful things that can happen when you uh, ask yourself really big questions or when you look at a problem in the world or in your business and you try to figure out how to frame it as a question. That to me was the big um the big, you know, revelation. And I think that's what my book is really trying to hammer home. It's this idea that questioning, it can almost be the starting point of innovation. It can be the key to growth as a leader. It can be the, a key to businesses, uh, transformation of your business. All, all, all of these things can start with asking better questions and, uh, and, and figuring out the best questions. So that became the, the driving, uh, the driving theme of this, of this book. And now it's, it's kind of the central theme of my work. Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, you, you talk early on in the book, which I, I think is very interesting, uh, you know, that, that kids start out really questioning everything, but as they start yeah. getting older, it's, it wanes. And, uh, you know, why is that? Well, I think, you know, it starts out as being this, um, like a human gift. Um, it, it's, it's an instinct we have uh, that seems to surface almost as soon as we begin talking. Um, you know, when, when kids are two and three years old, they're already starting to ask questions. And by the time they're four or five, uh, you know, they're just, the questions are just flowing. Uh, you know, it, it can, it can drive parents crazy. Right. Nice. But you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's this amazing thing. By the way, I saw as my research indicated that four, uh, four years old, four years old is the peak questioning age. And actually a four-year-old girl is asking even more questions than a four-year-old boy. So if you were looking for the ultimate questioning machine, it's a four-year-old girl. And then, you know, which is very interesting, right? And then, um, you know, something starts to happen around age five, around age six, seven, eight, um, starts to go down a little bit, but yet there'll still be a lot of questions. 
And then it just continues to go down. And, and what I find, I talk to a lot of teachers, a lot of parents about this. And by the time you get to the teenage years, you know, high school years, um, it really has almost stopped. The, the, the asking of questions, especially in school, you know, it just stops. So, um, so it's a very interesting thing. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I think a lot of social pressures uh, come to bear against questioning as you begin to, you know, become very conscious of your image as a teenager or, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of, you don't want to be seen asking questions because maybe it looks, makes it look like you're not that smart. Um, there's all kinds of pressures like that. And then I also think our school system doesn't really reward Questioning. We we reward uh, students for uh, memorizing and then giving back the answers, and that's that's you know that's what you get. That's what you get all your good grades for. It's not right. for asking the good question. And so so I think these you know these things definitely have the effect of of you know of dampening the questioning instinct in in young people. You know what's so interesting about this is that you know Peter Drucker would always say the the leader of the past told. And the leader of the future really is someone who knows how to ask questions and draw yeah. things out from people. And it's it's so fascinating to me because we've had other guests on our show talking about the educational system and how it really needs to change. And in many ways, this rote memorization learning and you know showing that you have the answers gets rewarded. And yeah. You know, and and people then shy away from coming up with good ideas or saying things differently because they don't want to be ostracized. And this carries forward into the workplace, I think. And many workplace cultures don't reward people who don't have the answers. Yeah, I think it's almost like a factory mentality. You know, I think, I think, um, and and there there are people who have pointed this out, like the, the the Seth Godin, you know, wonderful writer, and and Seth Godin has talked about the fact that, you know, our education system was designed in the industrial uh, era, you know, and and we were we were basically training people for a certain kind of work, uh, which was you know learning how to do tasks and learning how to do their job and then repeating that over and over and over again for the rest of their life. Okay, so, um, so I think maybe it made sense at one time when we were kind of a factory uh, society, but now, if you think about it, that memorization model it has no bearing, it has no connection to innovation because, you know, when you're trying to innovate or be creative, Nobody gives you the answers. <laughs> you don't get you. You're not given the answer and then asked to memorize it and repeat it back. You know, you have to find it. You have to find the answer. And and so um, I think this is why the ability to question well is so closely tied to people who are creative and innovative, because you have to know how to ask the right questions before you're going to get to these original ideas and original answers. And um, and so I think it's we just need a whole shift now, and I think you see some some schools and some models of education are are doing this. You know, I think Montessori schools have been doing this for a long time. You know, and that's why now and half the half the people running Silicon Valley, you know, went to Montessori schools. So I mean, it's it's a it's a very interesting phenomenon. I'm hoping it's going to change over time. I think a lot of schools are very aware of it, but it's hard to change the system. 
uh, and it's hard to change and uh, old habits die hard. And, you know, actually, Warren, that really is the premise of our book, Future Proof Workplace, is that a lot of the rules and approaches, processes really work. We came out of the industrial era and, right. you know, having people follow uh a process, you know, robots do that now and robots are going to continue to do that now. So it's the yeah. ability to create and to think and to be creative thinkers and problem solvers. That's that, that really is the difference between, frankly, artificial intelligence and, uh, you know, the human context that, that you bring to work. But we're not geared yeah. to that yet. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, I really think I really think technology is great for answers. <laughs> you know, if you right. think about, um, if you think about, you know, artificial intelligence, or you think about Google, right? right. You think about, you think about Watson, IBM's Watson. Um, what is it good at? It's good at giving us answers, but it's not right. good at asking. It's not good at asking questions. Um, right. And and I came across a great quote from uh, Picasso, which I use sometimes in my in my speeches, my presentations. And um, and P- uh, Pablo Picasso, he said this back in nineteen like sixty five. It was like he said this fifty years ago. Um, he said something. I think I believe the quote was, um, "Computers are useless because they only give you answers." And I think, um, you know, so what Picasso is kind of saying there is that, you know, from his standpoint as an artist, he doesn't care about the, the, the thing that can give you, that can spit out answers to you. You know, he's searching for the, the big idea, the big question that right. he can uh, pursue in his work. And I think he's, you know, even though he said that 50 years ago, I kind of think it's still true. I mean, I still think even even as advanced as technology is getting, it's much more of a tool for providing answers to us and right. storing and storing all the answers for us, you know, well, because our, our brain can't store that much, you know. So, I mean, I think that's what technology does. And then what we do, we have to be the ones who figure out how to ask the questions and come up with the original, um, you know, uh, approach on things. Right. And I think that's really a big difference. I mean, everybody loves Alexa, you know, Siri, uh, all, all this kind of stuff, because you don't have to remember stuff. You can sit in your living room exactly. and say, Alexa, do this, or what's the answer to that, or how far is this? And, you know, it does free the brain up. Now, many people argue that, you know, you're not using all your mental capacity. I think it's a shift in how you use your mental capacity. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> you know, I never really particularly liked memorizing all of this. Right. Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the issues that schools are going to have to figure out. Um, and teachers, is it's, a, it's an interesting, um, it's kind of a delicate issue. Of, are we going to get rid of all of this memorization and factual information and just are we going to just assume that since it's all there on our on our devices and it's all there at our fingertips should we just assume that no one really has to know you know what year columbus uh sailed the ocean blue because they can just they can just uh, punch it in on google and find it out in a second I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. I, I, I think probably say, what do you there's, think? What do you think there's probably a there's probably a balance. You know, I I think that I think that like you know we probably still are going to have to we're going to have to download some basic facts and information into our into our brains. But yeah. I don't think we need to devote nearly as much space to it as we used to because it really is there at our fingertips. Yeah, I I I think that that's really true. Um, 
you know, you're absolutely right. People need a context. And so they're really going to have to, uh, we're really going to have to discern what the context is that you're going to be teaching people and how help them learn um, while also understanding that information is going to be readily at their fingertips. We're going to go to break uh, for a few minutes, Warren, but you know, when we come back, I want to talk about how do you formulate the most beautiful question? And then we're going to talk about what smart people do with all of this. So stay with us. We're talking to Warren Berger, best-selling author, um, a guru in the area of uh, inquiry and sparking breakthrough ideas. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, five years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. We're talking to Warren Berger, really a uh, leading thinker in the area of innovation, which is for the 21st century, that is going to be the key to any organization. It's not memorizing things, although that's going to be important to a certain level, but it really is about innovating to solve big problems for humankind and society. And I, I just love why you got into this. Uh, Warren, but, you know, you talk in your book about Polaroid and, you know, we all know what happened to Polaroid and we know what happened to uh, Kodak. And it's so interesting because both those companies had patents that could have taken them well into the 21st century and shifted their model and their innovation significantly, but they didn't do it. So, yeah, it's true. What's, what's your thoughts about that? Why did, why did that happen? Well, I think I think what happens is, um, you know, we were talking about children questioning and then becoming adults, and then by the time they get to be older, not questioning as much. Well, you could make the same parallel for companies. Yeah. Um, companies are oftentimes are born with a question, or they start out questioning. Polaroid is a perfect example. Polaroid was born with a question. Um, it's, it's a great story that the founders of the of the company, Edwin Land, was taking a picture of his daughter, and uh, you know, using a standard camera at the time, where you have to send the film out and wait a long time before it comes back. And so he took a picture of his his four year old daughter, and and she said to him, "I want to see the picture now. Why do we have to wait for the picture?" And so Edwin Land said, "You know, that question to him was so powerful because he hadn't been thinking about." waiting. Why do we have to wait for the picture? He just assumed that's the way it is. You know, when you take a picture, you have to wait and you have to wait days and days. And then once she asked that question, he was now, you know, thinking, wait a minute, it's, it's true. Why do you have to wait? Because that almost defeats the purpose. You know, you want to see the picture right away. And, you know, and so, um, so it, that question to me is a beautiful question. It shifted his thinking. Uh, and then it became a driving question for Paul. Polaroid, how do we then in, invent that instant camera so that someone doesn't have to wait for the picture? They can get it right away. And it became, you know, obviously the big product that drove the company's success after that. And 
then I think what happened was, you know, somewhere along the line, they needed to ask a similar type of question that the four-year-old question, you know, girl asked, um, uh, that maybe about, you know, uh, why are we uh, continuing to, you know, follow this path with this technology when we see this other thing happening? And what if we could incorporate our strengths into this new world that people are going into? How, do, how are we going to do that? And I think, you know, those are the kinds of questions that they probably weren't asking enough, you know, at the time all of the change was happening in the world, you know. And that's the thing about questioning, and that's why companies, to me, get in trouble. They right. start out asking great questions. They start out asking questions that look at something that's going on in the world, a need, a new opportunity, new technology, new possibilities. They start out asking all these questions about these opportunities, and then somewhere along the line, as they're an adult company, they're not asking those kind of questions anymore. Now they're just in kind of a status quo, you know, how do we maintain this thing we already have? How do we keep it going? And it gets so many companies in trouble because you, especially in today's world, that status quo mentality eventually runs into a wall. And, you know, eventually what happens is, you know, somebody out there starts to reinvent your industry. And if you're not on top of that, you know, if you're not keeping up with that, which Polaroid did not, you know, you are going to get in trouble. And, and it happened to Polaroid. It happened to Kodak. It happened to Blockbuster Video. You know, Blockbuster Video was disrupted by by Netflix, you know, and, and uh, Netflix, which also started with a question. So I think somehow these companies have to keep that curious, questioning uh, mindset even as they get older and establish more rules and more policies and do all those adult things that a company does, they still have to maintain that four-year-old well, curiosity. It's, it's part of that maturity curve, and that maturity curve can kill you, and we've known yeah. that for years. Unless you, unless you are astute enough to be constantly looking at when the curve is moving to complacency. And once your right. coach starts getting complacent, that's, that's when you lose. And that's when you get into self-preservation and you start w making sure that nothing else threatens you rather than innovating. And RIM is another, uh, you know, uh, BlackBerry is another perfect yeah, yeah. example of that. They had a great product. Everybody right. loved it. But then they got yeah. complacent and other people started nipping at their heels. And, you know, where are they today? Really, nowhere. Who talks about BlackBerry today? You know, it's, right. it's Apple, it's Android. And then you had Netflix. I love that you mentioned Netflix because Netflix has continually reinvented itself. You know, right. it's continuing to ask questions. It's continuing right. to ask, you know, okay, we've, we've figured out the video rental, uh, uh, business. What if we, um, you know, what if we do something with streaming and then, you know, okay, we've kind of mastered the delivery of content, you know, but what about making the content, you know, right. and they just keep, they just keep on, um, questioning their, their, uh, core competencies, you know, um, uh, they're not just resting on, on what it is they've done before and there you know it's that that to me is the model for how companies are going to have to be i think from here on out i totally agree and i will point out to you that they are known for having a very constructive culture a very positive culture they have worked on it they have worked at it 
And I think, you know, part of what we say in our book is that culture today really matters. If you have a culture that puts down ideas and says, yeah, but we tried that before, that doesn't work, or oh, we're not going to make enough money on it. And instead of asking the why question, which you point out in your book, you're, you're not going to be able to reinvent yourself in enough time to succeed because the cycle time now is a nanosecond. It really is. Yeah, I think I think it, that, right. This also this questioning thing does become a very strong cultural uh, yeah. issue, and and it also um, w- when I'm talking to companies about this, you know, I think it 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 affects everything from it affects like employee uh, engagement and your ability to retain people and all of those things because if you think about it, you know, none of us wants to be bored on our job, you know, or feeling unfulfilled. And so if you don't, if you don't have a chance to really express your creativity and your curiosity at work in some way, I think you're going to end up being on autopilot and, and then you're, you're not going to be as valuable to, to your company and you're probably not going to be as satisfied. Um, so there are all these things that flow out of it. So I think not only does, is there this idea that if your people are questioning and they're more curious and they're, they're more engaged, not only will it help you in terms of innovation and, and uh, you know, productivity, but I think it'll help you in terms of just having a healthier culture where people want to, want to be there. They want to be there at work and they're, they're there a hundred percent instead of only 50%, you know, they're engaged a hundred percent. So, um, so I think it, it, it's really, really important. So, so help, help our listeners understand how you talk about, you know, stepping back and in yeah. order to move forward, how do, how do you do this? How do you make it work? How do you operationalize this in an organization? Oh boy. I mean, it's, it's, I think people are still trying to figure it out and, and it's, it's a relatively young idea. And, um, you know, I think people are trying various things. I I think Google is trying various things. I think I've seen other companies trying various things, but I think it starts with leadership. Uh, it starts with the, the leaders of the company making a very strong statement and saying to all of their people, we are a curious questioning culture and yeah. we want that we want that from our people we are going to uh, we're going to try to recognize it and reward it when we can and whatever ways we can and we're certainly not going to punish it we're certainly not going to say to anybody you know um well, i don't i don't want to hear that from you just do your job you know we're we're, we're not going to do that so i think it, it it really starts with making a statement to the people so that they feel comfortable um asking questions being curious um you know using their whole mind at work um now then from there i think it becomes can you develop policies? Can you develop training? Um, I think you could do both. I think that you, you can develop way, policies and platforms where people can share their questions. Um, you can develop, you can run your meetings a different way so that there's more room for people to ask questions. And, uh, you know, you can reward the question of the week. You know, there are things you can do. But, um, but you have to start with, you know, giving, giving, uh, giving permission to people. Uh, to to use this tool that they have, they have it already. They have the curiosity. They have the ability to ask questions. Um, you just have to encourage it. Um, I think you can also train it a little bit. I mean, 
even though we all have questioning skills, um, it's possible that you can help people focus that a little bit on the needs of the company and the and the the challenges of the industry. You know, so that you can you can probably do some instruction that that both helps people get better at asking um, ambitious type questions, formulating questions, and also make sure that they understand. Um, where, what are the areas we really need to be questioning? What are the parts of uh, our industry, our company that we really could use this curiosity? Um, so that, you know, because sometimes it might go off on the wrong track. You know, sometimes people might, uh, you know, they might start asking questions that, uh, you know, maybe are not as helpful to the company. And so if you could give them guidance, I think that can be really important. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. I mean, we talk about the curious learner, and that's really going to be a core competency for the future. The, uh, the, the creative thinker, the curious learner, um, uh, you know, that, that really enjoys delving into these kinds of things. But, you know, you talk about, um, you know, the, the, the why question, the what if, and the how. So uh, do, do you ever go into these meetings and say, we're just going to brainstorm the questions, and see yeah, what yeah. comes out of that. What's on our mind? Here's, here's, you know, the problem is this. What are all the questions that we have about this? Or what are all the questions? And do you ever do stuff like that? Oh yeah, yeah, all the all the time. Yeah, and that's that's one of the that's one of the best ways to uh, strengthen people's questioning uh, muscle is to just do uh, question storming the same way you would do brainstorming with ideas. You do question storming, and there's a, there's an exercise you know that you can do. It's fairly simple. Um, it's just you know breaking people up into groups. You give them a problem to work on. It could be a problem your company is trying to uh, deal with. It, uh, uh, an issue uh, that's a big issue, you know, um, uh, customer engagement or something. I, I don't know what technology in our industry, um, but you give them something to work on and you um, allow them to just formulate as many questions as they can within a given time period and try to come up with 30, 40, 50 questions. It is extremely valuable. I think it's better than brainstorming. I think yeah. it's more effective uh, because there's something that happens when people are formulating questions as opposed to trying to come up with ideas or answers. Um, something happens when you're doing the questions, it forces you to step back and really try to understand the problem in a way that if you're just firing off ideas, you might be doing that off the top of your head a little bit. And I think if you, if you really are forced to come up with relevant questions about a, about a topic, that really forces you to understand the topic, look at it from about 20 different angles so that you can come up with an original question. And I think um, it's really effective. I do them all the time at companies, also do them in schools. And, yeah. um, and it, w what it does is it gets, you know, it gets people seeing things from a different angle. It gets you using a different part of your brain. It's kind of a different way of thinking. So that's one of the things, uh, that's one of the big exercises. And then another thing is just teaching people the value of asking those three types of, of open-ended questions that, that I think are the three questions of innovation. Yeah, and that is why, what if, and uh, why, what if, and how. And yeah. I think um, 
those are three different types of questions. People don't realize that. You know, they think, oh, well, they're all sort of the same thing. Um, no, those are three very different types of questions. They do di- they do very different things at different stages of of a of a process of an innovation process. So in the early stages, you you tend to want to ask a lot of why questions because you're trying to understand. You're trying to understand the problem that you're trying to solve, or you're trying to understand the consumer. You're trying to understand what's going on in our company. You're trying, you're trying to get your arms around something. And that's when you're asking a lot of why questions. Now, there's a point at which you, you want to get beyond just understanding and you want to get to using your imagination and uh, to try to think about the problem in a different way. And that's when you're asking, what if, you know, what if we tried this? Okay, we understand the problem now. What if we tried X? Or what if we combined this with that? What if we what if we came at this problem this way? And I think that's and now you're moving to a higher level of creativity. Um, you are beginning to come up with ideas, maybe original ideas, and um, or possibilities. And that's a really creative stage of questioning. But that's still not going to get you very far because you ultimately have to get to what I think of as the most actionable kind of questioning. And that's how, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to test it? How are we going to, how much is it going to cost us? How, you know, how are all those practical questions that you have to ask in order to get anything done? And, uh, and I think, you know, those three types of questions are really important. And I wish companies could teach people that they should be asking all three types of questions and they should be trying to ask them in a logical uh, sequence that's always moving them forward. And, and I think it's it very valuable. Take, this is a great yeah. place for us to take a quick break, Warren, right. we're going to be back and then we're going to be talking about why do smart business people screw up? <laughs> how, how does that happen? And I'd also like to get in and we're going to get into a little bit the unconscious mind and how that helps in this whole creativity process. So we're talking to Warren Berger, a uh, great thinker um, around creativity, been on NBC, ABC, CNN, NPR, and uh, having a great conversation about question storming, new technique for future innovation. Stay with us. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future-Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. We're talking to uh, Warren Berger, author of A More Beautiful Question, The Power of Inquiry to, to Spark breakthrough ideas. And I, I, I just think it's a great book, Warren. It's a fun read and uh, lots of good insight in it. But w- one of the things you were saying is, uh, you know, when we went to break is, you know, the three facets of questions, the why to help understand what the issue is, you know, the what if questions for original ideas and creativity and the how, which brings you down into the kind of practical implementation questions. And I'm just wondering, you know, often when you get to how, 
uh, in a lot of organizations, there's a, a money issue or a people issue or, oh, we can't do that or some moray or um, artifact that sort of becomes a blocker to moving some of these great ideas forward. How do you keep people from going into the negative, yeah, buts and tried that before kind of thing? You know, I think um, it's you're always going to run into those roadblocks. And I think what what one way you can look at it is that the roadblock then becomes the new problem that you have to cycle <laughs> cycle through why, what, if, how on. You know, so so you, you started out trying to solve maybe uh, a customer issue or something, a product issue. Then you, you, you come up with a great idea, a great solution, and then you're running into, you know, we just don't have the budget for that. And, and I think um, that's when you can maybe uh, use questioning to dig a little deeper on that that statement, you know, like, why, why don't we have the budget for it? Um, and what if, you know, what if we were to, uh, come at this in a way that didn't cost as much, or what if we were to find resources from someplace else or whatever? So you can use that same kind of creativity sometimes to attack the roadblock that you run into in the house stages. I find a lot of times the house stage is is just the beginning. <laughs> it, it, it feels like it's the it's the last stage, but it, it's going to eventually lead you right back to going starting at the beginning again. Because unless you hit a home run right out of the gate, you know you're probably going to run into a problem. You're probably going to even if you introduce a product and get it out there into the world, you're probably going to notice after six months. Gee, it's not it, it's not everything we thought it was going to be. Why? Why is that? You know, and now you're going back to the drawing board and sort of starting over with that questioning cycle. So I think that's one of the things you can do, you know, with, with, you know, uh, this, this questioning issue is that when you do, you can use it not only for original ideas, but you can use it to attack very um, basic everyday problems that involve, that might be getting in the way of your idea. Yeah, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, as, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm saying to myself, this becomes a new approach to problem solving and it becomes part of your DNA. So instead of, you know, looking, oh, the, you know, the, the sort of uh, analytic side of a problem, but using it more as a uh, an ex- exploration of the problem. So when you do hit a roadblock, it's natural for people to say, well, why is this a roadblock? Yeah, well, exactly. And how can yeah, and, we- and, and, and you know, this is, this is, um, this is based on human problem solving going back hundreds of years. I mean, yes. it's, 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 when I was, um, developing that why, what, if, how cycle, it, it, I noticed that there were real parallels to the cycle of, let's say, design thinking, yep. which has about five, five or six stages, depending on which model you look at. But you can, I can match up my why, what, if, how to the six stages of design thinking, and I can say, oh, yeah, this is the why part, this is the what if part, and this is the how part. And then what I realized is that you go back even further to, like, you know, some of the original theories on creativity, which involve incubation and illumination 
illumination and all these things uh, that were done a hundred years ago, and they also follow that same uh, sequence. So what, what's going on is what's going on is human beings, you know, probably going back to the time when we, you know, uh, invented the wheel. Have they, we've been problem solvers who tended to do things in the stages of first trying to understand what the problem is, then trying to imagine a possible solution, and then doing it, you know, making it happen. Um, and that's kind of the three parts of human problem solving. So I think, you know, when you're asking why, what, if, and how, you're really just doing what people have been doing forever. And, and that is trying to logically attack a problem in a, in a sequence that makes sense. You know that, but that it, it, it's it's so simple. That's that's why I'm I'm really actually loving it, and I can see it as being part of, you know, a, a cultural piece of an organization. I want to get to this, uh, uh, you know, unconscious mind that you talk about here, and and what's what's happening with the research, what you're finding there, and and how this can start to unleash creativity for people as well. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, they're finding more and more now that, um, you know, a lot of great stuff happens in our unconscious mind in terms of problem solving. And, and so, you know, uh, as I've been talking about these sort of logical approaches you take to problem solving, which are very conscious, you know, you say, well, first I'm going to ask why, and then I'm going to ask what if, and then I'm going to ask how. And that's all great. You know, it's, it's good to have these conscious approaches when you're uh, trying to solve problems, but there's also a lot of stuff that goes on in our unconscious that we're not even aware of. We're we're solving problems when we're not even aware of it, and and I think one of the really great things that that one can do is to try to feed that unconscious mind and let it do its thing. Uh, and it'll, sometimes it'll be doing it while you're sleeping. Sometimes it'll be doing it while you're taking a walk. Uh, sometimes it'll be doing it while you're daydreaming. And all that's really happening there is our, you know, our, our, our unconscious mind or subconscious, it, it gets a chance to make a lot of connections. Um, and it does that sometimes when we're not really focused on the problem, but the problem is there in our we've absorbed the problem we've internalized it and then we stop thinking about it and or we think we're stopped thinking about it but really what's going on is that problem has gone into our unconscious mind and we are working on it there and we are trying things we are connecting this and that you know our our uh, our actual uh, dendrites in our brain are actually the branches are actually touching each other and they're and they're making weird interesting connections and saying hmm what if uh, what if you did this or what if you combined this with that thoughts that we might never have with our conscious mind and that's why all of a sudden you know in the shower you know you get the idea wait a minute you know what if we did this and we, you know, we think it's coming out of nowhere, but it's coming out of our unconscious uh, mind it has been working on this thing. And it, it came up with a solution when we weren't even aware we were thinking about it. And then, and then all of a sudden it pops into our conscious mind. So, um, so I think, uh, you know, what, what we've got to do is, is feed that unconscious mind. I was just reading something, uh, Reed Hoffman. Right. Um, who, who, yeah, well, he, you know, original founder of LinkedIn and a great venture capitalist now. Um, he talked about how when he's working on a problem and he's sort of stumped by it, 
he he asks himself before he goes to bed, you know, what is stumping me here? What what are the things I'm having trouble with? And he kind of uh, frames this as a question for himself, and then he goes to bed. Right. <laughs> and he says that he says that he w- oftentimes he wakes up in the morning and he's got a new in- he's got a new insight. There's something. Yeah pops up. And I've heard that before. I've heard the uh, Ray Kurzweil at Google uh, has said the same thing. Uh, So I think, um, you know, people have figured out that what what's going on is that your subconscious mind is this tremendous problem solver, and um, and you got to give it something to work on though. You know you got to give it something to work on during the night or while you're taking a walk. So you have to feed it. You have to feed it problems and questions, and then it will go to work on those problems. It's like a puzzle. Your, well, your you brain loves to solve puzzles. I, I do that myself. I uh, and yeah. I have found and I you know in, in doing some. Uh, studying myself around the brain that that we brought into to 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 really our research is that if you do that it's amazing what what you have uh, and what you'll come up with and so i keep a pad next to my bed so uh tell me something warren quickly what what is it that smart people uh, why do smart business people screw up and we're we're coming to the close of the show so so give me a, quickly why do smart- I, I think in a nutshell they they screw up because they they're they're not um they're not questioning and they're not as curious as they should be and they're not paying attention as closely as they should be and I think you can be the smartest person in the world but you will you will fall into all kinds of traps uh, the trap of expertise uh, you know if if you are not constantly uh, forcing yourself to admit you don't know as much as you think you know and forcing yourself to question. Yeah, I love that. Admitting that you don't know as much as you think it and not having to be as my good friend Marshall Goldsmith would say, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. So no. so tell me, tell me, Warren, what three things do you want this audience to take our listeners to take away from your discussion, our discussion? Okay, I'd like them to take away the idea that um, that questioning is a positive force and that it is it is connected to innovation. I think that's the most important thing to to internalize because you have to realize that questioning is really valuable. Unless you think it's valuable, you're not going to do it. You're not going to pay attention to it. You're not going to devote any time to it. So I, I want them to, I want people to realize, and there's a lot of evidence to back this up. There's a lot of stories to back it up that questioning leads to something. It, it leads to innovation. It leads to growth. It leads to change. Therefore it's worth your time and it's worth a company's time to try to cultivate that. Um, I would also like them to understand that if there's a culture of, if you're trying to create a culture of curiosity and questioning, start at the top. It has to start with leaders. They have to set the example. They have to ask the questions. They have to be curious themselves. By modeling that behavior, it's going to encourage others to do likewise, and then you can back that up with policy and and so forth. Uh, And then the third thing I'd like is just keep in mind that um, why, what, if, and how is a nice little framework for questioning. You can use it on anything. You can use it in your in your personal life as well, trying to figure out should we move or not. You know, cycle through why, what, if, how questions, and it'll help you to um, to do some problem solving. To to really get focused. Now, Warren, how do people get a hold of you? 
Because I know you do uh, they can, company. Yeah, they can reach me through. Uh, I have two websites. One is amorebeautifulquestion.com. Uh, and amorebeautifulquestion.com is kind of the big uh, place where I put all my questioning stuff. Lots of articles, lots of information about questioning. Um, so, so if you want to sort of really dig into the topic and find a lot of good stuff on questioning, um, it's there. Uh, and then if, if you just uh, more specifically about me uh, or my speeches or something like that, there's a, there's a, sec- a separate site called warrenberger.com. But I'd recommend people, you know, start, or more, start with a morebeautifulquestion.com. You'll find a lot of great stuff there. Yeah, well, that's terrific. Warren, thank you so much for being on the show. I really loved it. And I think, you know, while it may sound, uh, you know, sort of self-evident, it really is a different twist on how you approach problems. And uh, yeah, I don't I see so. behavior a lot in the workplace. And, and so I really appreciate uh, your insight. I think people should get your book, A More Beautiful Question. And uh, it's terrific. And, you know, actually, I use a similar kind of approach in some diversity work that we do because unconscious bias has been really at the root cause of, I think, why we have not been able to make tremendous strides in terms of the inclusion and belonging because we've all been raised in a a different way in the workplace. So thanks, everybody, for being with us today. We'll be back on next Thursday with another exciting guest, and we have a great lineup for this fall. And um, Warren, again, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. It was great talking to you. Great talking to you, too. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.